New comp dat out de mal, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That, by the way, is a Dutch expression for now the monkey comes out of the sleeve. Whoa, which is excuse me. <laughs> roughly analogous to the English expression to let the cat out of the bag in honor of a number of announcements we will get to later in the show. I'm going Dutch again since we have two Italy races this year and only one Dutch one, so... Uh, I mean, how do you how do you not do the monkey sleeve thing? It's such a also well-known that. idiomatic expression. There's a lot of good idioms. Danny O'Dwyer, who's back with us. How are Hi. you, Danny? How you doing? Good to be back. Although I will say, I did quite enjoy listening to Shift F1 <laughs> last month, uh, which was uh, quite a quite a treat. I haven't been able to do that in a while. Um, but yes, I am back. I am back in the hellscape that is the Western American time zone for Formula One fandom. Uh, speaking of lovely treats, also joining us, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Not bad. Uh, refreshed after a week's vacation and uh, wish we had a slightly more action-packed race to talk about, but it was still interesting. <laughs> uh, speaking of action-packed races, Danny, I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, on Spa, <laughs> the race that never was. Dude, I was having so much fun with my like family and stuff that when the race was on, and like I was in Europe, so it was like perfect time to to watch the race but we had a day where i was all of our you know me and my brother and my sister all of our kids were playing together i was like i can't i need to do family things this is the first time we've been home in two years like for god's sake so i just turned my phone off and i was like i'm gonna get back to my sisters and we're gonna watch spa and she might watch it with me because she was into f1 before i ever was she was my gateway drug as it were into mm-hmm. the sport she watched it we played that we wouldn't f- have a podcast without her yeah probably right it's uh, her and joe Baron are like the two people at least that got me into F1 at different times in my life. Um, so uh, they recorded it on their on their like DVR, but it was it was confusing us because we went to start the video and it was like an hour of some other TV show, and we were like, "What the like this? Why did?" <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, maybe it got red flagged. Maybe there was rain and it got delayed, and then the TV didn't want to show." you know, two hours of padding or 50 minutes of padding. So they just threw on an episode of, you know, A Place in the Sun or whatever thing they just have like buckets of they throw on whenever there's a a sport delay. Um, So then she was flicking to the other live channel and she basically, I did a thing where I didn't look at the television and uh, like put my hands up to my ears a bit and said, just describe what you see. Like, are they racing? (laughs) And she was like, they're racing, but it looks like it's behind a safety car. Okay, how many laps does it say? It doesn't say how many laps. What? It doesn't say how many. I was like, is this like a weird Channel 4 thing? Because we're watching on Channel 4. I haven't seen a broadcast. But I'm like, they have to, it doesn't, what, does it say anything else? She said, there's a timer. And I'm like, oh, there's a timer. Okay, then how many are left? She said, 59 minutes. I was like, I could not figure out what would had happened. I was like, 59 minutes? Like, where why would they ever have the timer on there like if there was a delay if they were under the two hour limit because four hours had passed or something so i was like (laughs) that wouldn't make any sense so obviously subsequently then we watched the dvr recording of the three laps and i was like oh that's what happened they literally canceled the race and had like a huge delay but trying to unpack it and not get spoiled in real time was like a complete another uh, nightmare so yeah we just watched something else instead that night (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well um we have a slightly more interesting <laughs> race slightly. i guess to talk about um this time but uh but first 
Um, I wanted to say if this is your uh, first time with us, uh, welcome. And if you're new to Formula One itself, uh, we recommend listening to our preseason primer episode, which assumes no prior F1 knowledge and explains how the sport works, who everybody is. Uh, this year's primer is episode 137. Also, if you are just joining Formula One, I promise the races are usually much better than the last two that we've had. <laughs> also, uh, the show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shift F1. Uh, every month over there, we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons uh, that cover racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, experiments with other racing series, and a lot of weird things. So if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of that fun stuff, head over to patreon.com slash shift F1 or click the link in the show notes. What's going on this month, Danny? Uh, this month, we are going to take a look at the new Netflix documentary Schumacher, which is out in just a couple of weeks time. So if you have the Netflix, you'll be able to check that out. Um, I believe it is on the 15th. Is that right, Drew? It's like mm-hmm. eight days from now. Um, so that is, I believe, produced by uh, a lot of the same people who do Drive to Survive and have done so many sporting documentaries over the years. Um, and obviously dives into the career and life of uh, the greatest of all time as many would say one of the most prolific f1 drivers of all time michael schumacher uh so we will have that to you about a week after the doc is out we're going to have that episode up to give you some time to check it out cool uh should we run down the title sponsors for this week we should sorry i wasn't sure if i took that myself or i'm so used to listening yeah, now. I, heard, <laughs> I, I heard you do all the title sponsors i was like oh there's some new people in there tractor yeah. share eh? okay <laughs> Uh, yes, our title sponsors uh, this week. Thank you so much to all of our friends. Jason Kelly, Will Rumpf, Umberto Roca, Troy Stammer, Circuit Demon. Still looking at that wine bottle, Circuit Demon. And also <laughs> t-shirts Circuit Demon sent in as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. We, i got to show you those. Um, Reagan, Sam G, Connor McManners, Joel Roberts, Abraham Getchell, Jason Chadwick, Abdullah Althani, Bailey Foot. BPM, Drew Stewart, Mo, Simon Villeneuve, good old uh, Og, sorry, good old Og, David Mule, Joshua Hain, Tractor Share, Gnarly Goat, I wonder if that's a product, and Veal Shanks, also could be a product. <laughs> Goats and, and Veal. <laughs> um, all right, well, let's sink our teeth into the Dutch Grand Prix at Zandvoort. Um Zandvoort? More like more like sandwort. Nobody uh, said that last week. See, that's that's what you, that's why you need me here. For the dad puns. For the jokes. <laughs> uh, Max Verstappen got pole position in his home race, much to the delight of the home fans. So many smoke flares, despite them saying, "Please don't bring smoke flares." Uh, he got pole position by only about four hundredths from Hamilton. Um, apparently, Verstappen's DRS did not open on his pole lap. Wow. Uh, and he had something called a double shift that also cost him some time. Uh, yeah, isn't um, that crazy? Apparently it was because of the bumps on turn three that he yeah. up, he upshifted, but it was bumpy, so the car jumped from third to fifth. That's like, I've <laughs> never heard of that in my life. Yeah. Uh, so Autosport <laughs> it estimates that the total of all the things that um, uh, lost him time totaled about a quarter of a second okay. so it maybe should have been a much larger largen but yeah lewis hamilton um barely uh did you say larger largen just there <laughs> did i <laughs> i think he said larger largen not larger <laughs> margin <laughs> sorry um 
Lewis Hamilton in second. Uh, did, he did not get a lot of running. Only really did free practice three because of an issue in um, uh, like an oil pressure issue, I think. And then free practice one was kind of a uh, a non-event because Sebastian Vettel's car may have been electrified. And so they had to spend a lot of time figuring that one out. Right. Um, Valtteri Bottas got third. Pierre Gasly equaled his best qualifying in fourth place. Uh, and then the Ferraris, Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz. Uh, well done to them, especially Sainz after he had a heavy crash in free practice three. Uh, and then another strong showing from Antonio Giovinazzi <laughs> in seventh place. It's almost like somebody lit a fire under his arse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the two Alpines, Esteban Ocon, Fernando Alonso, and then Daniel Ricciardo, the lone McLaren in the top 10. Uh, George Russell starts 11th. Uh, he was on a great lap at the end of Q2, but spun off into the gravel, uh, which he said was because he was pushing too hard. Uh, Lance Stroll starts 12th and then 13th is Lando Norris which is surprising it just didn't look like he had it hooked up uh, in qualifying uh, Yuki Tsunoda's 14th Sebastian Vettel was on a fast lap at the end of Q1 but he hit traffic uh, Mazepin making a scary dive in front of him um, the stewards issued no penalties for that though because there were five cars there besides Mazepin so yeah. it wasn't uh, it was not quote unnecessary impeding However, Mazepin claims that Schumacher, his teammate, got in front of him and screwed up his own lap. Uh, Schumacher responded, though, afterward that he that the team told him he could get ahead of Mazepin. Um, and he added, quote, I asked if I could overtake him because my tires were quite cold and he usually does a lap slower than mine. <laughs> nice. That's a, <laughs> that's a democratic way of saying it. Uh, and then qualifying 16th place. Robert Kubica, everyone. Kubica, Watch out. I know, right? Rob has This is why Rob has to be on his toes all the time, because you never know when Robert Kubica will turn up. That's right. And yet, as, as has been the case with Kubica Watch, the result's not quite there. I was really <laughs> curious what steering wheel they'd have him hooked up with. Because remember, it wasn't until embarrassing late, embarrassingly late in his stint with Williams that they introduced a modified steering wheel with most of the controls like biased over to his left hand. Mm. Um, and it looks like he was going with a pretty standard looking wheel oh, really? uh, this time as well. So it's like, I don't know. It's, it's a, uh, it's an odd thing. Cause we, we do know that, um, you know, that, that one arm is like pretty substantially uh, disabled following those injuries. Um, and so I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I was kind of dismayed when I was like, it looks like they're giving him another standard wheel. Yeah, he he. So he's stepping in for Raikkonen, who tested positive for COVID. Um, I think on Friday. So, uh, Kubica stepped in on Saturday. So he only got to run wow. one practice session uh, before jumping into qualifying, uh, and did not get last place. So way to go! Yeah, nice work. Uh, I I assume he's going to be in for Monza as well. Like that was the can't. thinking. They they mentioned that that was probable. Uh, they're not okay. certain, but like I think, I think given the timing of all this, it'd be really shocking if like Kimi was cleared to resume uh, by like Friday practice. Yeah, Bob uh, for him. Seven, Last yeah, season. Seven, that's right. Um, spoilers for the news: Mick Schumacher <laughs> in seventeenth, eighteenth is Nikita Mazepin, and then Latifi, as mentioned, he went into the wall in Q two. 
Um, or I did. I don't know if we did mention that. Anyway, you, you mentioned Russell did, so maybe you yes. Got, yeah. <laughs> uh, but Latifi had a similar accident in Q2, um, and with a bigger impact. Yeah, it was a rough uh, one, which necessitated a a change in gearbox that incurred a penalty. And then Perez, he qualified 16th place, um, which Autosport cites as a combination of misjudging the likely cutoff time the track evolution and traffic ahead of his final lap. So just a lot of things uh, combining together to, to shuffle him down to P16. Um, but since he was already back there, Red Bull took the opportunity to swap in a new power unit uh, and take the penalty. So he and Latifi will both start from the pit lane. Speaking of the start, Danny, are you limbered up? Are you am, rested am, from your vacation? I am. I am. You remember I am ex- how to do this? I was excited to see what would happen because if there's one thing we saw in the uh, in the well, the, honestly, the practice sessions and qualification of F1 and the uh, three F3 races that occurred over the weekend is that uh, there was a lot of red flags. There was a lot of uh, people spinning off. There was a lot of uh, different lines through turn three. So I was kind of like, okay. Let's see what happens. These cars are bigger. They're longer. They're squirrelier. Um, we have some rookies in here. Nobody really knows this track. Everyone's kind of driven it on lower divisions, but we'll see how it goes. We'll see uh, where the where the action is. Not much action, as it turns <laughs> out. They were all very orderly. Um, everyone pretty much had a great start. Verstappen kept his lead. Hamilton tucked in behind Bottas. Um, you know, the Ferraris had a little bit of um, movement before turn three, but pretty much everyone in a line uh, on the approach into turn three. And Hamilton uh, second, right? Happy around it. What'd you say? Hamilton second? Yes, Hamilton second, yeah. Okay. So the we had that beautiful shot of them all taking those different up, you know, the high line and the low line into turn three. But at least for that turn and most of the other ones, um, there wasn't that much change at the front. The only one that's coming to mind is that I, I think that Alonso had to have another terrific, he had a great overtake yeah. on the outside of three. I think so. Which is weird because as you're saying, like it was sort of discovered in practice and qualifying that the high line was the way to go. Yeah, and he'd been uh, doing it is, all weekend. Yeah, and from the onboards, by the way, the, so turn three is the big banked one, and so that's maybe why it, it takes a, a, an unusual line. It's to me, it's scary watching the onboards because it looks like they're he- it's unnatural to see them not go for the apex, and it, it, I feel like um, they're headed right for the wall. Right, uh, but for some, you know, probably because again of the banking, it allows them to turn to turn in and actually make the corner that way. But yeah, on the op- opening lap, no one went for it. And Zolanz was just like, yoink, I'll go up here. Which I think if you watch the onboard of him as well, you see not only is it amazing that he did that, but just prior to that, he almost, he could have crashed into Ocon ahead of him. And also Russell barely didn't crash into him from behind. So yeah. there is a world in which a lot of cars actually got collected there. And especially a crash going into turn three would have been nasty because they slow down and then turn left. So they, you know, it maybe would have collected more people, but um, yeah, as it happens, nobody, nobody got tagged, um, which is just as well, because that was probably as close as those cars were going to get for the rest of the race. Yeah. Not a lot happened um, after that until lap 21, which is when the leaders start to pit Hamilton in first, which is kind of the only thing he can do is try to undercut Verstappen. Yeah. Bad stop Um, though. Yeah. uh, 3.6, I think to Verstappen's 
2.7. Uh, Verstappen covers him off by pitting on the next lap. Red Bull said after the race that they were prepared to sacrifice the win to Botas uh, if it meant that Verstappen stayed funny. ahead of Hamilton. That's funny. Um, it's so funny that they would have, like, but it was so obvious that there was no way for Mercedes into the, this race barring a, like, Red Bull catastrophe. Like, Verstappen had a 1.7 second lead at the end of the first lap. Like, <laughs> did. Yeah. that yeah. car was so obviously <laughs> to the naked eye dominant uh, at this, at least with Max at the wheel. Like, he cruised away from the race. I had no idea that the, the, the car was malfunctioning in qualifying. I, th- I thought that uh, Hamilton must have pulled, because remember... Everyone else was like three tenths back from the times that Max was setting to begin with, including Hamilton. Uh, and then it just kept, you know, falling off as he got further back. I thought Hamilton must have pulled some sort of rabbit out of his hat. And I think he did to get within that, uh, you know, 35 hundredths of Max. But at the same time, like it didn't matter. Like it turns out that that still required Max not being able to put together the full power lap. Uh, and qualifying in this entire race, it was it was a lot of like Mercedes desperately trying to strategize ways for this to get back in the game. But it was so easy for Red Bull to respond and counter because they always had the they were always sort of perfectly positioned uh, on the track and had the luxury of picking their moment at every turn. I think that's one reason why later in the race, Hamilton was commenting that like Max keeps is so lucky with traffic. There's a bit <laughs> of that, but also like they were able to dictate the timing and spacing around everything in a way that Mercedes uh, just couldn't. And so it was like. You know, from from the word go, I thought it was an interesting race from a strategic standpoint. As Mercedes tried to figure out, like, how can we undo a three tenths a lap deficit uh, to Max through the cleverness of pit stops, but also it really showed the limitations of uh, of that method. Yeah, yeah, Mercedes leaves Botas out there on an alternate strategy, like you said, with the intention of using him to slow Verstappen down and allow Hamilton to catch up. So um, that. That <laughs> it looks like it might work for a little bit, but on lap thirty, Verstappen catches Botas and passes him easily with with DRS. So maybe not so much. <laughs> um, lap thirty seven, Vettel is back to his old spins. Uh, he goes for an inside pass at the banked turn three on Kubica and uh, loses the rears, dropping from fifteenth to seventeenth. Yeah, Botas had to do a good move to get out of the way of that one. He did. Yeah, You've been watching uh, his days of thunder. <laughs> go high into the treacherous turn three um so the yeah, rally, that, isn't it those fins they're just good at avoiding obstacles last minute <laughs> right he he did uh get a flat spot on his tires and uh it that move lost him a second and a half so um yeah just in case he needed a more difficult day Perez got uh, a flat spot on like the fifth lap. Do you remember that at the end of the straight? Yeah, he got a he really on bad hearts. one. They were trying yeah. to get him on the uh, like super mega one stopper, and the hearts just never, never came together. Which is a weird thing about hearts sometimes with these things, where it's yeah. like on paper they should have the greatest endurance, but their pace might be so performance so poor that the drivers take way more out of the tires trying to get them to perform. Uh, that was kind of a quintessential. Like this is why going to the hard and uh, just running long doesn't happen as often as you think it should because uh, he just completely lost that car uh, early on those tires. Even so, he is really the only one really passing anybody 
today. Um, And on lap 56, he gets by Ricardo on the outside of turn one, nearly dipping onto the grass uh, to take 10th place and uh, and earn some points. Uh, He tries it again on Norris on lap 66, uh, who gives him some stiff defense. Jeez Yeah, the the two cars kind of drift together and Perez's front right clips off some of Norris's left side floor. Uh, and then, then he hits uh, Norris's rear tire. He gets by though, which Norris attributes to the 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 contact, and it was kind of tough when their tires touched, um, yeah, knocking Norris his foot off, off the, the pedal. Yeah, Watch and the... it apparently knocked his foot off the pedal. Oh, and, you're kidding! And <laughs> disallowed him from uh, from fighting back there. What is so going on? Norris. This is like wacky. You got magic shifts, phantom uh-huh. shifts, and and people getting like knocked their foot off the pedal it's like some it's like some mario kart nonsense going on yeah um but then we get my favorite part with verstappen running away with the win oh my god mercedes want to give hamilton all the possible points which means pitting him for new tires and going for the fastest lap but they have to pit botas first because hamilton would come out behind him uh so they give botas some new tires and he immediately goes for the fastest lap himself so good so good purple first purple sector one purple sector two and then the phone ring the red phone starts ringing (laughs) james gets on the radio james james vows who's uh like i think the closest thing you hear on the radio so rarely at mercedes that it is kind of like the voice of god uh coming over where it's like this is race strategy like do not do this uh and that's like the only time he sort of surfaces is to deliver the like triple underlined like hey man you're fucking it up but i do kind of wonder was this uh botas recalcitrance or do you think like he'd been on bad tires so long like sometimes it can be really surprising how much pace fresh tires have if everyone else is worn away and like it can be dangerous to let off the pace too much especially at a circuit like this where it sure looked like a rhythm track like you need like sorry they were last lap too right so fuel load like everything is so much lighter uh total wolf did did call it a cheeky move so i assume that it was on purpose but valtteri botas did abort uh that that attempt he did back off in the third sector still got the fastest um, lap he's, yeah he still got it temporarily uh until hamilton did pit and uh and took it at the end but man it scares me so much when they do this like like i know they're they're pretty good pits and they haven't had like some of the weird catastrophes happen wait who was no it was it was perez's car was it who had the or was it botas who had the well, I thought it had to be yeah, he the retired wheel from Monaco because the wheel gun, right? That well, that was them. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, it's like to do two of them in the like to get a point. Uh, yeah, I it's don't a know. Championship, baby. You got to you got to risk it for the biscuit. Especially these days where there's this weird half point floating around. Like, <laughs> what right. if what if this whole thing comes down to a bunch of fast slap points? If it, it, I, if it comes down to the deficit from the points awarded, yeah, at Spa, I five, think five, right? It's five between the two of them. Yeah, I think twelve and a half and seven and a half. It'll be real interesting. Like, <laughs> yep. there will be such a big asterisk next to this championship, depending <laughs> on like whose partisans are unhappy. Yeah, I um, thanks to Chainbearer for pointing out that the Formula One website um, did not correctly compute the uh, half points That's on the funny. constructors' championship because we had recorded that episode, Rob. Uh, and I straight up just said the wrong points and had to go back and re-record it. Um, oh wow! 
good due so, diligence that's yeah that's what the closest one ever right was how louder won by half a point back in oh is that right yeah yeah that okay. against prost so it would have been near the end of his yeah it came down to it came down to the half point it's wild so Amazing. who knows could happen again uh but this race ends with max verstappen on top, full 25 points to Lewis Hamilton in second with 19 points and Valtteri Bottas in third for 15 points. Uh, behind them, Pierre Gasly holds on to fourth place, had kind of a lonely awesome. race, but way to go, Pierre. Uh, Charles Leclerc in fifth, and Fernando Alonso gets Carlos Sainz uh, in, like second to last lap or so. Um, for sixth place, Carlos Sainz comes home in seventh. Sergio Perez got up to eighth place. Uh, I love when this happens because you get to go to uh, racefans.net always does these cool lap charts um, and you just see this like stair step of uh, of Sergio Perez climbing up um, the Latifi too actually for the first uh, 15 laps or so well done um, but yeah Sergio Perez in 8th Esteban Ocon in ninth, and Lando Norris gets the final point in 10th place over his teammate Daniel Ricciardo uh, Lance Stroll in 12th, Sebastian Vettel 13th, Antonio Giovinazzi in 14th, Bobby Kay, Robert Kubica in 15th, followed by Nicholas Latifi, George Russell, Mick Schumacher, uh, and then Yuki Tsunoda and Nikita Mazepin, uh, both DNF'd. And yeah, Hamilton scoring the additional point for the fastest lap. And then we got to see, like, if you thought the British Grand Prix was a celebration of like oh, parochial, wow. parochial nationalism get a load <laughs> of the dutch uh ceremony at the end where they've got the the singer who comes out in the dutch braids and i swear to god sings the dutch national anthem at max um it was <laughs> incredible just incredible uh just energy to this entire uh celebration um i have to say though i i didn't know until uh crofty mentioned it that the smoke pouring off those orange flares is acrid and really unpleasant right um and that just sort of like i always sort of wondered about this because there's like there's so many courses now in europe especially where like people are just in a fog bank of mm-hmm. orange smoke and i was sort of thinking, GP like, fans love it because it seems like it might be annoying yeah like especially like, like a imagine if you have asthma and you're at a, like a motor a motor race and like who cares, who cares man tiesto tiesto is waving the checkered flag Fuck, i forgot about dj tiesto <laughs> dj tiesto doing the checkered flag and then did you hear the edm beat as he crossed the finish line <laughs> they had it like a whole party beforehand as well it's great like netherlands only caught you of like well, 50 million people or something right so it's like it's that it's you know everyone's back i it was, was a real praying national... to god that with tiesto they would do a dance remix of the national anthems because <laughs> right. i thought that would be like just chef kiss like really let's complete the picture here of like we got tiesto like what's the most dutch thing that can possibly happen here <laughs> uh we like basically turned the podium celebration into a rave with remixes of uh really inappropriate uh like National Chariots anthems. of Fire, yeah, and stuff like, or yeah, or yeah, yeah, the, the national anthems. Do you think the uh, do you think the Formula EJ was like at home, just w- with his helmet on, just shaking his head, <laughs> just silently crying into his helmet? Uh, well, let's uh, run down the drivers' standings after the Dutch Grand Prix. Max Verstappen is on top with two hundred and twenty-four and a half points. I laughed so Lewis. much last week when you said you're going to have to do these halves for the whole season. That's <laughs> uh-huh. so good. 
So good. Uh, Lewis Hamilton is in second place, only three points behind with 221 and a half. Valtteri Bottas <laughs> in third has a clean one, two, three. Lando Norris in fourth with 114. Sergio Perez is in fifth with 108. Charles Leclerc has 92. Carlos Sainz has 89.5. Pierre Gasly has 66. Daniel Ricciardo has 56. Fernando Alonso with 46 in 10th. <laughs> Then we've got Ocon with 44, Fettel with 35, Sunoda and Stroll with 18, George Russell in 15th place has 13 points, then Nicholas Latifi with 7, Raikkonen with 2, Giovinazzi with 1, then we've got Schumacher, Mazepin, and I also get to say this, Robert Kubica with Beautiful, zero. beautiful. Look at those little Williams guys, Thir- 20 points between them. Couldn't That's buy right. a point before, you know, well, I guess Latifi had one, but yeah, amazing. <laughs> Uh, Mercedes is on top of the constructor standings for now with 344.5. Red Bull's got 332.5. Ferrari's in third with 181.5. McLaren is in fourth with 170. Alpine has 90 in fifth. Alpha Tauri has 84. Aston Martin with 53. Williams has 20. Alfa Romeo has three. And Gene Haas on team with zero. Hmm. And with that, speaking of drivers, let's take it to the nears. Uh, a lot has happened in the driver market. Yeah. House of cards. Uh, tumble, tumble, tumble. Yes, dominoes, etc. Um, it's probably a Dutch idiomatic expression of a monkey knocking into other monkeys. Right. Stroop waffles falling over. <laughs> um, we, so Tiestos. The, the, just <laughs> bumping them. <laughs> The day we uh, posted our podcast last week, of course, is the day that this all started kicking off with um, uh, Raikkonen, Kimi Raikkonen, announcing that he is retiring, leaving a spot open at Alfa Romeo. And then on Monday this week, it was announced that that will be filled by another Finn, Valtteri Bottas, opening up his seat at Mercedes for the announcement of George Russell. We all knew it was coming. It has now been confirmed. George Russell will be partnering Lewis Hamilton for 2022 onwards. Exciting. Exciting. I think. Yeah. I think what a, first of all, two Brits on the same team. Feels like it's been an eon since we've seen that. Um, And yeah, just a real good, it's the classic F1 duo of a young, hungry upstart and the chiseled vet um hamilton is probably the most enthusiastic veteran of the sport that i can remember he's still fighting for championships and and motivating himself um but now russell's in the seat and as we've seen with a lot of these younger drivers some of them most of them wilt when given this you know responsibility max kind of slowly got into it but we've seen a lot of the other drivers sort of you know have it not come together but russell mental wise mentality wise he kind of reminds me of hamilton you know he's seems to have it dialed in well and i think part of that too is it depends on how firmly committed you know your team is to you like hamilton the advantage he had coming into mclaren was that he was as close to ron dennis as any driver has been like he was um a prospect that the team were very invested in down to an emotional level. Um, And I don't think 
like I think Max enjoyed something similar where again mm. you had like a high degree of investment. I think it's where it's the guys who are really good, but the investment level is a little bit marginal and they're still willing to sort of like bite the coin and like, you know, just test your quality, they're not convinced of you. Uh that I think that can go sideways really, really quickly. I think in terms of like that sort of mental conditioning, I think in some ways Russell has had a I can see it being to his advantage that like he's done a couple tours with uh Williams because that is it would be very easy to lose your bearings uh in that car um and in those circumstances and he appears to have consistently sort of risen above those circumstances and has been ready to perform uh on the day the thing that still like concerns me a little bit is he's a great he's a great qualifying driver he turns an incredible lap um it's the one being paired with Hamilton, who's so wildly consistent, uh, that's tricky. And two, I haven't seen him do, like, on, on the day of races in F1, it's been a little more inconsistent. Uh, there have been more lapses uh, on his part than there are in in terms of just, like, pure pace on a, on a quality lap. So I am, I'm excited. Um, I think it's going to make the story at Mercedes a lot more interesting. I think it's you know, past time to see what Russell can do in a, uh, you know, top tier car. But yeah, I, I think it's, it's going to be so interesting to see how it plays out and sort of see what we learn about Russell, uh, in this new situation. Yeah, I think it'll be, um, I think he could kind of hang no matter which way it goes. I think he'll be like, he can explain to himself, um, you know, that it's, that it's okay because he will be, in a new team with a new car, like the 2022 cars yep. are going to be oh, pretty yeah. different. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so if he, if he does not match up to Hamilton that first year, be like, ah, oh, you know, I was just getting my, getting my feet, you know, under me. Yeah. If he, um, if he comes second, <laughs> he's not going to be upset. You know what I mean? Like, right. If he, in the championship, I think the worry for him next year was if we see a, if there's competitiveness between a couple of teams at the top of the field, who he's fighting, and if he's able to be what Bottas was at the very least, which was a fairly reliable uh, second driver for the constructor championships, you know what I mean? Like Valtteri did the job. He and he didn't let. I think one of Bottas's strengths was that he was trying genuinely to fight with Lewis for the championship, but it never. When he fell short, it never boiled over or it never, yeah. um, you know, pushed the constructor stuff at risk. He was able to settle into that role when it was clear that he wasn't fighting for the championship. Um, so, and that's really important because, like, there are drivers who aren't good at that. You know, Vettel has, has struggled to sort of relax into a lower gear. Um, and Russell may as well. But, I, I, yeah, I agree with you. I think he, he he's not going into this with everything to prove. I think they have... Um, I think Rob was saying last week or the week before the the they have been responsible with the way in which he has slowly come into the sport, you know, as opposed to a sort of young phenom who who comes into a, a team in another sport and you're expecting to be the you know star quarterback or or whatever. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm I'm excited for him and it's the right time as as well. We you know we 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 talked before I went about how it might actually be detrimental to his career if he did not get the seat this year. Yeah. Interestingly, it is a one-year contract, um, which is not uncommon um, in Formula One, but we have seen 
in the past with teams like Ferrari and Red Bull of them betting big on the new generation. Uh, and that is not the case here. So that's interesting. What did the Claret get again? Was it like four? It was crazy. It might have been five. Been five. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's good. But, but well, just, well, that yeah, was an unusual one. Yeah, that yeah. was that was kind. That's kind of a. That is still, I think, kind of a, a wild contract. Um, though again, like maybe in through the lens, driver salary that comes out of the overall. Does that come out of the overall budget? It does the, now, right? Uh, it will I, do definitely, but it does. I think it does now, right? I, I don't think personnel factors okay. into the budget cap. I could be wrong about that. I thought the drivers did. Okay. Yeah, because but I hear what you're saying. If you if you lock him in at a rate at a fixed rate for five years, and his value goes up. Yeah, so I mean, there there could be there there could be some incentives now, sort of like you see in uh, like sports with aggressive salary caps, right. where now there's there's more incentive to do these long term deals uh, to sort of lock people in uh, before they realize their peak value. Right. I wonder though. I, I think with Russell, it could be. To everyone's advantage to have him, have him on a one year. Uh, I could see Russell like liking the option because it it could be that after one year his it, like Mercedes might not be where it is right now in a year's time, mm-hmm. and he might still be a really hot commodity. And suddenly there's like three drives that might interest him. That's a really good point. Yeah. Uh, what elsewhere if- in. Sorry, Denny. So yeah, what do we what do we think about the rest of the the, the dominoes in that equation? Happy Bottas is sticking around. I think there was a worry he might leave F one. Um, and yeah, I think he, uh, yeah, he's he's a fun driver. And he, I remember like when we first started doing this podcast. God knows how long ago it was now. Uh, he was one of your favorites, Drew, and it's because he had that sort of um, fighting spirit in the middle of the table. And we've sort of been robbed of that with the dominance of the mercedes um so i i think that's a good fit for him that's fun and also because the the other one was that he might go to williams perhaps and i think uh, yeah i'm still not convinced that that car is i mean who knows in 2022 but i seems like a fast turnaround for that one i i have more it's weird it's maybe just my bias but i have more confidence in the williams than i do of the alfa romeo really yeah um but i think it's a smart move for them because they're getting like botas is a solid driver yeah, he couldn't, you know, really compete with with Hamilton. Um, but for a, a team like that, that needs, you know, consistency, I think Botas is one of your best bets. Well, again, like I think we've we've said before, like it's so easy to underestimate what he does because he has the comparison yeah. of Hamilton right yeah. there, and there's people who are like would always insist, well, if somebody else was in that car. But first of all, the number like a lot of great drivers would rather be number one at a middling team. Uh, mm. Than number two at a team where you know you're going to be playing second fiddle. Uh, there's a lot of people who will roll the dice on you know I will I'll you know Daniel Ricardo uh, mm-hmm. you know made this has made this uh, gamble repeatedly uh, and so is Fernando Alonso. It's always a, it's a high risk play, uh, but pe- like great drivers or people who think they have genuine world world champion uh, talent. They are not the sort of people who will happily sign up and be like, "Yeah, give me that number two spot," and yeah, be sure to let let the other guy know that he's he's the primary. So I, I think like Valtteri's ability to occasionally best Hamilton, his ability to con- like consistently rack up those like podium places. I uh, think that was always easy to underrate. I understand like I think so much came from frustration of we wanted a repeat of 2016 
where yeah. hey, if there's no action elsewhere on the grid, at least we'll have this awesome rivalry that existed in 2015, 2016 uh, between Hamilton and Rosberg. That was a lot of fun. Um, and I think people, and certainly I at times, wanted that from Valtteri. Uh, and he wasn't capable of doing that. But I think there's very few drivers who, who would have been. By the way, just a quick thing. I, I had forgotten this detail. Driver salaries are excluded. So are the three highest paid uh, employees uh, from <laughs> awesome. the team. So you're still allowed to have your technical rock stars getting rock star money. Mm. Um, and that just doesn't count against the team. So like, if you have like your awesome driver and like Adrian Newey, you're still allowed <laughs> to give them the king's ransom. And then the cost cap kicks in. Right. Okay. Um, it might be worthwhile just looking at his career at Mercedes very quickly because I forgot just how um, how he's done way better recently. Like, uh, obviously, we had that incredible battle with Rosberg in 2016, but 2017 when he came in, um, he won three races that year, but he did get third place. Vettel managed to pip him for second um, that year. Uh, 2018, he came fifth. He got zero wins. Um Max got fourth, Kimi got third in the Ferrari and Vettel in second with the Ferrari. Uh, but then 2019, four wins, locked in second really handily, uh, had like 50 points on Max. And then a little bit tighter, I think it's nine points the next year, but again, two wins. So he's like, as much as he's been a second driver, he has won on Saturday and he has won on Sunday and he was in the mix, you know? Uh, yeah, so I don't think, I think he has you know there's a lot to be said for the fact that he did not burn out and leave like rosberg rosberg won the championship but then rosberg disappeared you Mm -hmm. know um so there's something to be said there and i'm also happy to see kimmy retire too i think this is a good time for him i think the you know if he's these days he's crashing into the pit lane you know (laughs) like let's maybe 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 it's time to hang off the boots and let someone else have a go take your second retirement kimmy and and spend some time with the family on instagram well, and, and I think this is this is the next thing, like the Alpha versus Williams thing get, gets interesting to me because we know that Haas, barring um, some sort of like next generation car miracle, like Haas is going to be stuck at the bottom of the table. Um, but, you know, we heard Frederick Vasseur saying earlier this year that like, hey, we have a better car than Williams. It's just that Williams has uh, Russell. And that might be true, but it does look like even Latifi seems to be coming along with pretty consistent results at this point in the Williams. Yeah. And so I kind of am curious what that sort of fighting their way back to being midfield teams uh, type thing. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious what the future holds for Alpha uh, because the relative value of these two seats is really hard to assess right now, right? Mm-hmm. And it, everything hinges on is Valtteri going to sort of ride out a quiet... Um, like emeritus phase of his career the way Kimmy kind of did yeah. or is there a plan to push uh alpha closer to the front in a way that the combination of of Kimi and and Giovinazzi was just not able to do because if if this is just kind of where alpha is at I could see Williams being the more interesting seat available right now uh team on the rise uh seems to be uh mounting a a late era comeback uh on the spec so i i don't know i i have a weird feeling that like the williams might actually be the better place to be and that sort of that that sort of sets up the other interesting dilemma in all this who is going to williams uh what's the what's the reshuffle at the back of the grid uh going to look like because i was thrilled to see that alex albin might 
be in the running for coming back. Yeah. But Drew, you got this. What are these shenanigans around Albin? <laughs> yeah, so uh, Alex Albon, who um, was uh, let go from Red Bull, but still retained by the Red Bull driver program. So he's a Red Bull driver. He's just not racing currently in Formula One. Um, Sergio Perez replaced him. Uh, so there's the thinking like, well, what are these Williams seats opening up? They, they want a, a good driver. Um, but Williams has close ties with uh, Toto Wolff um of mercedes uh red bull's main rival and um there's the thinking that well maybe he would say uh i don't want a red bull driver in my mercedes powered williams um however in some reports here uh this first one from uh race fans uh horner says i would never block someone like albon he said that on september 3rd and then uh actually these are all from race fans a quote then from uh, the next day, you know, it's tricky to have a 100% Red Bull driver on a Mercedes power unit. So happy to work with him as long as they let him free from his Red Bull contract. Uh, September 5th, the following day, asked whether Red Bull would have to release Albon from his contract to join Williams. Christian Horner of Red Bull says, maybe we don't. We've had a very productive discussion with Williams and with Alpha, and I expect the situation to be uh, hopefully resolved in the next week or so. Um, just taking the temperature of this whole situation, Mattia Bonato weighed in and said that, uh, I believe that whatever is happening between the team and the driver, it is between the team and the driver. As manufacturers, we should not influence that. If a driver has uh, an opportunity to drive and the team is happy to give him a seat, then they should give him the seat. What do you guys think of this, Rob? I'm just, this feels like, weird total wolf red ball uh like just needling each other uh because the thing is as i understand it the notion that somehow there would be some sort of like f1 industrial espionage happening between like a red bull driver program driving a mercedes engine car that would somehow then impair the confidentiality and like technical like uh, privileged data that Mercedes has. I think that is crazy. Like <laughs> we, we've seen what happens when there's even the slightest whiff of yeah. uh, like technical mal, like uh, te- like malfeasant uh, data sharing between programs. Like arguably McLaren were horribly uh, ab- abused by this, uh, you know, in the, in the wake of Stepney gate back when Alonzo sort of blew the place up on his way out the door uh, and there was an accusation that they, that um, I think Nigel Stepney had taken data uh, from Ferrari um, to to McLaren in contravention of rules, and I think they were like DQ'd for the year uh, in in the wake of that. But like the notion that this would be allowed by anyone in the pipeline, and that like that this would be a risk that would make sense for Red Bull and Alpha to uh, and and Williams to run. I think is wild. Like it's, it's a, it's a really shabby justification uh, for what sounds like throwing up some weird roadblocks around Alex, which is also very weird because Alex is one of George's closest friends. So that's an odd mm-hmm. note to start that partnership on. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think the, the, you know, final thing I'd, I'd add is it, I think the stronger argument that Wolf might have is 
I am certain there are drivers he would prefer to promote from his own driver program. Like if he's if he's advocating on behalf of his his driver pipeline, I get it. Everyone's under these pressures of having two or three great drivers in your back pocket and not being able to find seats for them. If Wolf were just frank about saying, hey, I'm hoping to get one of my guys in there, I think everyone gets that. But this sort of weird, oh, gee, if he if he gets access to that Mercedes power unit, the secret of our sauce will be lost. <laughs> yeah, well, it's... One... Go ahead, Danny. Yeah, no, no, it's uh, I, I agree with Rob, but the idea that th- this would happen, considering how this is fairly common in lower division. I mean, this these years, I guess there is more of the, st- you know, standard pipeline for F3, F2, up to F1, but you still have this happening where drivers are filling seats in other teams. You know, it's common in other sports. Soccer players have loan spells at different teams. It, it, none of this matters. People sign contracts and all that sort of stuff. I do see a situation in which, for instance, Nick DeVries, who people are talking about maybe taking over um, Giovinazzi seats, perhaps, where there is a mismatch between where the team would like the driver to be, uh, a.k.a. in another Mercedes-powered uh, machine, and where the where the driver wants to be, where they, you know what I mean, where maybe nobody wants to go to a Haas, if, even if they have the right engine, or a Williams, if the right engine, especially with 2022. So to me, that's where this feels like a little bit of, maybe Toto would prefer to have DeVries in there because he's part of their reserve unit and he's still within the family. It's a bit awkward having Alex there, considering how much reserve driving he's been doing, or testing, sorry, he's been doing for Red Bull this year. It feels less clean, but, yeah, ultimately, I, I don't think... Th- I think this is a case of the media asking the questions that people are interested in rather than it being the most important part of the negotiations. I bet the negotiations are in a different conversation that is going on, and we will we will never hear what that was, probably, uh, and we'll hear about it in the next couple of weeks. But I doubt this is as top of mind for the people involved as it is for us as spectators uh, looking at the sort of politics of the sport. Can I ask a question about the DeVries thing? Yeah. So is this part of an exodus happening from Formula E? Like I saw that Audi wrapped up their commitment there. Where is Merck might be considering wrapping up their commitment in Formula E? Is the state of that series healthy? And is there about to be like a massive influx of like available drivers from a, a, a from a series that is suddenly losing viable seats i, I would and, argue and, sorry opposite. daniel yeah go ahead. I'll, I'll let you answer that one because you're more the formula e guy but uh just for context here uh, nick devries is a mercedes driver in formula uh mercedes's formula e team he also won the formula two championship a couple years ago yeah, I think I think you could argue both angles on this. I think there's a lot of movement happening in Formula E, but then there always has been. And now that the the, the series is in a sort of a um, later maturation stage, that like uh, we're going to see more teams leaving as a result. I guess. I think the issue with De Vries is that he obviously is a championship winner, so to me this is a good sign for Formula E because it's showing the opposite momentum finally right or formula e for the first couple of years was the retirement right. community you washed out to formula e <laughs> yeah exactly and now what we're going to see is a driver who could come to f1 but he's also like you know he's top of his field in the other division so th- there is a world in which the better option for him is to stick around so i th- i i hear what you're saying but i think i think actually having somebody like devries almost promote themselves into f1 not through f2 
I think is very uh, interesting and shows just how far Formula E has come in the short you know years we've had it around. So one other thing I saw uh, is that so there's some there's some competing theories on what's happened in the other alpha seat because Peter Windsor. Uh, who, as far as I know, his contacts are still pretty good, was, uh, this was yesterday, was saying that the other alpha seat stands a good chance of going to Mick, uh, who we do know was in the running. It was sort of a toss-up, like, where was Mick going to go, uh, you know, when when he entered F1? And he ended up going to Haas, which was a bit of a surprise. Mm. And I am kind of curious... whether we think that's going to come off, uh, I mean, I can see, I can see Mick wanting to get the fuck out of Haas, but I, I like, I have no sense of is that an upgrade? I have no sense of how good a driver Mick is. I, I can't totally. tell. Yeah, I can't tell. I was just about to say the same thing. He's better than Nikita, Nikita Mazepin. We know that. Um, but I, I, I similarly, it's 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 very difficult to judge his racing craft because he's most of the time a, a blue flag. Yeah. Um yeah, Haas has not yet confirmed that second seat. Uh Williams has also not confirmed Nicholas Latifi, uh, but he brings a lot of money, and so yeah, that seems like a uh a sure thing. Um Alphatari also, Tuesday morning, uh our time at least, uh announced that they will be retaining Pierre Gasly and Yuki Tsunoda. Awesome. Um so it's really, yeah, just uh the one Haas seat, the second Alpha seat. And both Williamses that are up in the air. So we will probably see. We'll probably see as soon as this podcast posts. That's yeah. probably when we're going to get all the clarity. <laughs> I'm I'm a little bummed. Like, I think I think Geo might still de- de- deserve a uh, an F1 seat. Like I like I think his first lap paces have often been great. Um, I don't know. Like he's a, he's a bit of a mystery to me as well because there's moments I look at him like that guy's great, and then there's times he has a lot of anonymous or or unimpressive drives. Um, I did see an interesting notion though that uh, Ferrari is remember endurance racing, uh, World Endurance Cup. I think is sort of doing away with Dillon's prototype class because nobody competes in it. Oh, um, funny. <laughs> and so they're introducing this hypercar class, which was basically like so. This is where your McLaren, your your street legal McLarens and your P1s uh, Mercedes and, AMGs, yeah. yeah, all that shit. So Ferrari does have another racing program uh, that'll be high prestige, getting off the ground. And there was I saw a rumor that Giovinazzi might be tapped for that because I do feel like it's probably too early to sort of write off the investment in Giovinazzi. Uh, but I could see, like, if I could see moving on from him uh, in F1 and sort of uh, having him do a tour somewhere else, like like Albin did, really, which seems to have been nothing but good for him. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of Italy and the machinations therein, let's move it on to the next race this weekend coming up, Monza, Danny. Monza, Monza, Monza. I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna spray it. I'm not gonna curse it. We will have a good race at Monza. We will have oh my a good race oh, at. Monza. I have not looked at the weather, but it generally does not pish raining down you there. You say at this that, time and I'm like, how far is Monza from Vesuvius? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think Naples is pretty far from Italy. It's like uh, maybe. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I'm gonna guess four hundred and fifty. Italy. Jesus. Oh, sorry. From wow, look sorry. at the Florentine here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm back in my city state. Um, 
How far is it? Four hundred fifty miles, something like that. Three hundred miles. What is it? It's far. Do you know? It's far. Okay. Um, but who knows? I guess stranger things have happened. Uh, but it's Monza. It's Monza is a great track. The drivers love it. It is, in many ways, the classic F one track. It has um, been consistently fun. It's had some modifications over the years, but uh, it retains a lot of its uh, classic. Uh, most classic parts i mean not the you know the banking <laughs> anymore but you know there's a lot of really famous turns here um that the drivers really like to have uh, so if you're new into f1 and you want to know about this uh track um it is quite different to the races the the tracks we've just raced on and so far that it is not particularly long and it does not have that many corners but what it does have is the highest average lap speed of the entire year there's 11 corners it's a clockwise track just under six kilometers it is flat as a pancake i think there's 12 meters uh top to bottom difference on this one uh, which is not all that much for a, an f1 track that's the lowest point to the highest point um the uh, track consists of a bunch of straights, uh, chicanes, and high-speed corners. That's all you get. Boom, boom, boom. There's two chicanes. There are three straights. Arguably, one of them, the fourth straight, is a big, long curve called Curva Grande, which you don't Love have it. to speak Italian to know what that means. <laughs> we have another big uh, uh, curve called the Parabolica. Um, there are 11 turns, and every one of them is named, and every one of them is very unique in its own way. The, uh, the By the time you finish qualification, you will have a really good... Uh, idea of this track uh, it's low downforce as well uh, there's a lot of overtaking opportunities here as a result of the uh, various uh, the two drs zones but also the fact that the straights sort of play into each other um so there's no room to escape an overtake here in many ways um and also it comes with the added benefit of well we would traditionally have called them the best fan base in the world, but the Dutch are, are have a, you know, they got Tiesto. So we got, we got to get some <laughs> Italian uh, dance music legend um, up on the stage, I think, to, to compete. But the Tafosi, the Ferrari F1 traveling band, this is their home. This is their temple. And we will have a lot of uh, um, very excited Italians watching uh, the race at this beautiful track i'm looking forward to it it always gives good races the one thing to watch out for this time around especially given what's happened once again at zandvoort in the past two years of monaco can they all get around in q3 that is the big <laughs> question yeah we had a uh, uh an, uh an occasion a couple years ago where everyone was just trying to um you know give space to the car in front on their final lap in q3 and like one car got around before the timer expired mm. everyone else was just too slow and sorry you don't get a lap and the next year it happened again but not as not as dramatically but yeah it still happened and people didn't finish their lap so you have to see <laughs> yes excuse yeah, me that was fun uh it's also not as narrow i feel like as zandvoort was like there, there are opportunities for passing here yeah for an old um, track it's actually like it, it's wide and the turns are wide like yeah. look at curva grande look at the parabolic you could fit three cars wide on that you wouldn't it's, but I mean, it's grande you, you could yeah exactly uh weather wise it looks to be very <laughs> nice venti. as you said <laughs> uh about 80 degrees Fahrenheit or uh, 27 Celsius temperature on um, qualifying day and uh, pretty much the same on, on race day. Um, not very strong winds, very light out of the, uh, out of the south, it looks like. Um, and precipitation, 7% for 
for both days. So mm. yeah, it looks to be just balmy. Uh, if you would like to join our fantasy league, you can do that. Um, we've got half points going on over there too. Uh, after oh, the wow. Belgium race uh by the way you can click the link in the show notes if you want to join us uh in third place from belgium we have jacob's all-rounders from uh, australia in second place from the uk blart mcfart and finally from canada mike team two congrats to everyone who just completely (laughs) guessed on that one i hope man i want to know how did mike team one do (laughs) how many (laughs) how many teams does the rabbit hole go um from the netherlands however from australia uh vincent van go 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 got third place in uh tied for first actually from the uk we have gabriella team three and uh from the united states now verstappen carried this Mm. yes he did uh but overall the leaderboards look like this in third place australia from australia vincent van go 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 uh, in second place from Germany, I did too well, and now I can't think of a pun name. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, still leading the way from Canada, Ben Van Villeneuve. Uh, you can also all. You can hit us up uh, on email, shiftf1podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails, or on Twitter at shiftf1podcast. I am also at Drew Scanlon, that's at, at Denny O'Dwyer, and at Rob Zachney. That's us around the internet. Should we take it around the world? Let's race around the world. Yeah. Nice. I could feel that one was pent up. Extra grande because, you know, I haven't (laughs) been around the past few weeks. Uh, The motocross Grand Prix is... Wow. Where is this? Uh, (laughs) Afyon, Turkey. Beautiful. For the MXGP of Afyon. The World Rallycross Championship is in Greece for the Acropolis Rally. That's a cool Jesus, name. That's terrific. I can just see it in my head. It's over cobblestone <laughs> streets. Yeah, through pillars. Yeah. Um, Formula 2 is also supporting Formula 1 this weekend in Monza. Um, the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship is at Laguna Seca. Uh, IndyCar is back for the Grand Prix of Portland. And we have Super GT at Sportsland Sugo. Um, Sports Prefecture. It is in the Shibata District, Miyagi Prefecture. <laughs> and finally, we have oh no, we have a we have a NASCAR Xfinity Series race in uh, Richmond, Virginia, at the Richmond Raceway for the Go Bowling 250. That's right, they're still on us. They got to raise that awareness. I was, uh, just the other week, I was thinking about, like, I wonder if Go Bowling is still around and advocating yeah. for the bowling way of life and bowling culture and bowling tradition and the positive things that come from being a bowler and getting yeah. involved in your local bowling league. And I'm glad to hear I, they still are. I've, I've Similarly, I was driving around Maryland last week uh, past a couple of bowling alleys and was like, how you guys doing? How, what's, how, how you doing over there? You okay? <laughs> a lot of touching, a lot of indoors. All right. We'll see. A lot of vacant space in those things, man. Like, I bet you could very safely go bowling. Just like four <laughs> or five lanes between you and the next party, you're great. Provided they're well ventilated. Loving, Fingers touching, crossed. squeezing, bowling. <laughs> uh, and we got NASCAR. Oh, my. They're also at the Richmond Raceway for the Federated Auto Parts 400 Salute to First Responders. 
<laughs> yes, indeed. Salute, Danny. I hope I did. You missed me. I sal- I, yeah, I was calling out your salute. Oh, I, no, Rob did as well. I have to. I oh. have my. I have my. Um, my. I think it's my final immigration thing this week. So I got. Is it really? Yeah, I've been studying. I have. I have like pages and pages and pages of the civics test right here oh my gosh yeah wow it's not all that hard to be honest it's it's quite embarrassingly well we'll see if i fail (laughs) maybe it'll be a problem but yeah i have to i don't have to renounce my irishness but (laughs) you know just don't mention it i think is what the americans want uh oh also i'm sorry i forgot MotoGP also has the grand primo de aragon Aragon, my favorite Middle Earth uh, racetrack. That's right. And Formula One, maybe you've heard of it. The Italian Grand Prix kicks off Friday, September 10th. Uh, free practice one is at 8.30 a.m. on ESPNU. Uh, and guys, we forgot to mention, it's another sprint weekend. Oh my goodness. I totally forgot. Yep. Qualifying I- is on ESPN at 12 p.m., on friday these are all eastern times by the way followed by saturday september 11th free practice two at 6 a.m on espn2 the sprint is at 10 30 a.m eastern time on espn2 and the race sunday september 12th at 9 a.m on espn2 the deuce i cannot think of a circus i am happier that they're doing this on i think it's a great track on a on a long race I think for a sprint race, it's it's maybe the, just the hot, considering how high the average speed is and how there's so much like slowing down a little bit to make the tires work. If they can just go on Monza, th- that's going to be fun. Yeah. So just to just to recap, um, what this is instead of the uh, three practice sessions, qualifying to set the grid, and then the race. We've got one practice session, a regular qualifying to set the grid for the sprint, uh, another practice session, and then the sprint, which is a for it is a race of one third the usual distance, no pit stops, and then however you finish in that sprint is how you start the real race on Sunday. Awesome, Everybody got that. Awesome, can't wait can't wait there is not a podium ceremony but uh everyone rides around on the crypto.com truck oh my god and you get a wreath it's real weird wait there's no there's no there's no podium for that but there is for spa that's awesome yes (laughs) (laughs) yes and and you do get points uh for the sprint for winning the sprint um and coming on the podium it's three points two points one point for for second and third every point counts Yes. If they, if they if they don't finish the sprint race, are there half points, <laughs> quarter point? <laughs> I burst out laughing last week when I was listening to you guys talk about the the interesting scenario of whether or not if Mazepin had gotten in the top ten, <laughs> would he have gotten half a point for fastest right. lap? Oh man, do you think that must be written in? We should figure that out. We should find out. We need to we need to talk to F one's leadership and find out what would have happened because that is. That is the funniest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sprint's weird if you, if you haven't seen it yet. Um, I don't know. If it was kind of fun. I, I still, I think the jury's kind of still out on whether we like this or not. 
Uh, I think F1 has said um, that like this first year is an experiment. I think I don't know that we've confirmed yet that Brazil is the third place that we're going to try this, uh, but we're doing three trial runs of the sprint format this year. And if if they do decide to adopt it, it won't be at every race. It'll only be at uh, tracks where it would be interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm interested to see, to get more data on this, um, and, and see how we like it. But, uh, yeah, that'll, that'll be interesting. Um, final thoughts from, uh, from you, Rob. Yeah. I, uh, you know, Monza is such an outlier that I, this, this weird year with like how the field's been reshuffled, I have no idea what to expect. So I'm curious to see who actually just does have the fastest, like, straight line, you know, light it up around the track car at this point, uh, when you take so much of the arrow out of it. So I'm, I'm really interested to see if anyone can run away with this or whether the power engines have truly, the power units have really converged. Yes, uh, and for you, Danny, final thoughts ahead of Monza. Yeah, I just love this track, and there's we usually come to it saying, like, oh, maybe there won't be a bit of action at the front, but the mid-pack there will be. Uh, top to bottom, I think this one's just going to have a lot of interesting um, uh, battles in it. Uh, and the fact that we'll get two races, yeah, can't wait, cannot wait. I think especially after the past two races we've had, Samort was totally fine. It was interesting because it was new and novel, but I think uh, we're all hungry for a bit of uh, proper racing and it's been a few months, so let's get it. Let's make it happen in Monza. All right, well, if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of our bonus episodes and the official Shift F1 Discord, you can do so over at patreon.com slash shift F1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Mm.